Hello and welcome to the Surgical Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, the Third Eye Doctor. Pull up a chair and get ready for some candid and uncompromising discussion with experts, innovators, agitators, and influential people from every corner of health and well-being. From inside the hospital to at home in the kitchen, we're leaving no stone unturned in our quest to uncover the secrets of healthier, happier, more successful, and less stressful lives. Thank you so much for joining us, and without further ado, let's meet this episode's guest. Hello, Namir. How are you? I'm very well, Haider. Thank you for having me here. Oh, it's a pleasure. I mean, I've been trying to get you for 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 many many months, and you're a, you're you're a busy guy, and you travel a lot, and you you know your family live in London, and you're based in Oslo. Uh, and you spend a lot of time there. Um, how do you sort of work that one out? You know, how do you uh, work and live in two different places? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm still figuring it out. Um, but I uh, and it took a, a little. So I started in in August last year, mm. uh, and it took a, a little while to work out a good rhythm. Mm. But the idea was to work uh, and be out in Oslo a few days a week, maybe two to three times, three days a week, and then work from home the rest of the time. And the intention was to actually strike maybe a, a, a good balance that way in uh, being out here uh, for some time and being uh, at home and working from home and being around the family. So as you know, I have three young kids. Mm. So being around the family when it matters uh, in the times where, where I'm working from home. So it took a little while to work it out. And obviously I was... Um, you know, I I was at the sort of uh, expense of BA and and other airlines in terms of the flight schedules, and often they would be late, uh, which would throw my schedule out. Mm. Um, but when I when I figured out a good um, sort of timetable for being out here, one that was a bit more predictable for me in terms of when I'm present here and when I'm present at home. It's kind of settled reasonably well. So, uh, and now, you know, nowadays global commuting is more and more common. It's made more and more mm. um, uh, able. It's enabled by technology, Skype, and and so on. Mm. Uh, so, uh, so, and and the stage of the organization is a very young organization. Mm. Um, it's kind of conducive to to that type of working. So, a few of us are doing this in the company at the management level, where we're traveling into the office and in the office a few days a week. Um, so it works well, it works well. I mean, sometime, you said August, that's like seven months now, seven, eight months yeah. for, for things to kind of, you find your rhythm, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. It took, it took, I would say, the first few months, and then it sort of settled after the first three to four months, uh, working out different timings of coming out and, and being here and being at home. Um, and so after the first three or four months, really, it, it, it settled, and now I have a fairly routine um, timetable of, of when I'm here, uh, which needs to be flexible, of course, because sometimes last minute I may need to be out there for various meetings. But in the main, it's uh, it's fairly predictable. I mean, does the flexibility have to come from the company or yourself or both? Both, really. Yeah, um, yeah and, and um, you know, I, I'm reasonably, I can be quite flexible and, and the company is, is flexible also um, so uh, it really comes from both mm, mm. Um, where do you find you're most productive 
in at home or in between or at work or yeah it took some time actually to be productive in the airport uh, there's a lot of waiting uh, there's a lot of kind of needing to be aware of where you need to be uh, but again I found some good places there to, to settle down uh, and do a bit of work I would say um, I mean I could be I, I could be reasonably productive what do I need to be productive really I I, I tend to work best uh, in quieter spaces uh, where I can really focus uh, so that exists in the office and that exists uh, at home in my home office it depends on what I need to do uh, sometimes being productive means needing to interact with others in the team and, and have the conversations and evolve the thinking collectively uh, in which case I would need to be here sometimes productive means actually um, deep diving into uh, an area uh, and really sort of dismantling it and, and understanding it and putting forward a position around it, in which case a quieter space, again, in the office here or at home. So I'm fairly flexible. Mm. I need certain ingredients to be productive, and it depends on what the task is. But those ingredients exist, um, you know, wherever. Uh, so that's quite the... interesting. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Oh, I was, I was going to say it's, it's very interesting because you sort of, talk about productivity being an internal state of mind, an internal yeah. way of thinking rather than an external thing. Mm. Uh, yeah, you could say that. Um, and, uh, you know, it's almost, uh, what, for me, it depends on what it is that I'm needing to be uh, productive on or what impact I'm wanting to make. Um, but there, there is a, a large element of uh, bringing your own sort of uh, internal uh, aspects to it and applying that regardless of the uh, environment. So I also uh, feel productive when I'm on the plane and reading a book, for example. Mm. Um, and that was also, you know, part of the, as I was considering this role, um, I tried to consider the various aspects, all the way from the uh, environmental impact of me traveling uh, compared to what I was doing prior to that, which was driving uh, an hour and a half or so each way to my place of work, through to uh, work-life balance, through to uh, my own personal growth. Uh, and so part of the growth journey for me was to create more time to um, read more. And so one of the strategies I had there was that, you know, that could be done, for example, on the plane. It could be done while I'm out here in Oslo in the evenings. Um, and that's actually worked out quite well. Uh, so I feel productive in that time as well, in that space where I'm reading. And it could be reading about various things, uh, whether it's around sort of uh, helping to to parent or all the way through to, you know, other things. What are your three most sort of significant books that have changed your life uh, uh, profoundly? Um, Over the last sort of seven months that you've been working in this uh, new role? Yeah, so um, I like, uh, so there's a book um, by uh, uh, Ryan Holiday uh, called The Obstacle is the Way. I thought that was a good read. Um, it was a great sort of rendition of the growth that occurs through obstacles, um, you know, kind of a, a, a bit of a historical perspective of those in history uh, that have been through obstacles, some of which we've known and we've heard and maybe read clips on. Uh, but it was a nice compilation uh, and, and again quite an easy read um, <clears throat> uh, one of the others that I'm going through which I think 
you know, I've read a number of his books, Yuval Harari, uh, 21 Lessons in the 21st Century, uh, is an interesting read. And, and, you know, it can be, so, you know, I'm a religious man, so it can be uh, quite provocative. He, uh, he's he's a, quite a, a staunch atheist, and, you know, it's an, it's an interesting viewpoint. But the aspects that are very interesting to me are around um, the way uh, technology is moving mm. uh, and the impact on society. And one of the things, one of the main themes, and, and I said this to recently to uh, some high school kids uh, where I gave a, a presentation in my, my son's school. And one of the things, one of the messages was around, and you'll resonate to this, was around change. Mm. Um, and and his uh, one of the key core themes of of the book is that we are living in an age now, unlike any time in history, where we cannot predict what jobs will exist in 10, 20, 30 years from now. Unlike the industrial revolution, agricultural revolution, and he suggests that you know maybe children uh, would uh, actually be justified to a certain extent not listening to to parents in that regard because it's difficult for them to predict what. Uh, what uh, jobs will exist in the future and so what he says was there are a couple of things to you know what do you do about that then and so a couple of uh, themes he brings out is emotional resilience mm. and the second is adaptability mm. the ability to learn and adapt to the environment because it may mean there may be a demand and we're seeing this already mm. for people to change tact change career paths every five to ten years mm. because that's the way uh, the um, jobs are moving mm. and mm. so this notion of adaptability this notion of actually training oneself to be comfortable with change faced with this massive you know the massive innovations and the technological advances that we're facing with right now mm. i thought it's a it's a simple but quite a fascinating uh, sort of piece and, and the kind of core theme of the book so that's another one that's been uh, interesting one to read uh, and the other that i picked up um and i kind of pick this up every so often is um you know marcus aurelius's meditations okay yeah so uh, I just find it, you know, it's quite a good, I find it an, a nice, uh, it's quite a grounding mm. sort of piece of reading, you know, and there's just timeless wisdom in there uh, that you can, you know, every every page you read, every sort of paragraph you come across is uh, has so much meaning to it. Um, and it's expressed in different ways by different people. Um, you know, he's got this idea of uh, happiness, uh, reaching mm. happiness being, you know, quite a a simple, quote unquote, simple path. Not easy, but a simple path. Mm. Um, and it's very much around how you think and what you think, um, which drives that sort of sense of happiness. Um, so anyway, so he, 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 he never kind of ceases to to uh, to amaze my, arouse my uh, kind of curiosity whenever mm. I read it time and time again. So... Maybe wow. those three. Yeah, wow. there are a few others as well, but those are, yeah, those are interesting ones. And it's very interesting that you bring the the uh, the topic of religion. And given that you're a very scientific man, mm. you know, how did you get into science, and 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 how do you marry it, marry it together with your religious beliefs? I know it's a big question. Yeah, it is a big question, but I, I could take it down to sort of the fundamentals, uh, and for me, what that means. Uh, how I got into science was I, you know, as you know, um, when you are growing up and you want to make impact uh, and, and, and help, let's say, however we define help, but in the, the way that I defined help was to help people. 
um, you tend to gravitate, and, and if you've got a curiosity for the workings of the human body, you mm. tend to gravitate towards medicine. Mm. Mm. And and I did that, um, and that was my first sort of interest, um, and that was my first uh, real sort of uh, proactivity uh, where I applied to medicine, and, and I didn't get in. And there were various reasons for that, partly administrative as well. Mm. So the question for me was, what do I do next? Um, and so I was faced with going into university through clearing. Mm. And so what I knew was that I enjoyed science um, and understanding how the body works and mm. that I wanted to help people. And so I ended up uh, in a course called biotechnology, which was uh, two years uh, running mm. actually at UCL. Uh, so I did that, um, I didn't know where it would take me and this is where you know I like uh, Steve Jobs's quote where you know he says don't don't try to connect the dots looking forward mm. you can only connect them looking backwards mm. you have to trust in the in the uh, in the journey I had no clue where it would take me uh, but I and I didn't know what I'll do afterwards whether I'd further myself academically or do a second degree I, I, I didn't make that decision or choice so I embarked on it I went I started I moved through it and then I did a sandwich placement at, at GSK uh, at the time GlaxoSmithKline and that's what aroused my curiosity in doing a PhD mm. and so uh, it's interesting because truly for me I can can I feel I can connect the dots looking backwards very well which was almost impossible if not impossible for me to do at that time and so I did the uh, I did the sandwich placement decided to do a PhD then and then did a PhD in uh, T cell immunology, T cell biology at Oxford afterwards. And then I moved on to, just to finish that off, I then moved on to work to, uh, went back to GSK. And the way I describe it, I, I learned to professionally uh, research and develop drugs mm. and then moved to a smaller organization to use T cells as therapies essentially, which mm. is connecting the dot to my PhD. Uh, and now have moved into an even smaller organization, again, where we use T-cell receptors, where we use T-cells to, to treat patients. So in, in actually avoiding a part of, the, of, the, of human biology, which is the immune system during my degree, because I did avoid it, I didn't really like it too much, so I avoided those modules, to moving deeply into it uh, in my PhD because I felt a curiosity for it then, and then using the immune system so learning about the drug development process in a professional environment at GSK and then using the immune system as a therapy feels for me a, a complete circle. Um, so that's how I moved into science and constantly uh, reconciling that with my beliefs. And, and I guess fundamentally, when I go deeper and deeper into scientific mechanisms and the interdependencies that occur, uh, it's just so awe-inspiring that I can't fathom myself Others may do, but I can't fathom myself how this have this has come to be by chance. Yeah. A a a simple or simple is not the right word. A a fairly um, a mechanism that we take for granted that occurs every second in our body, which is T cells scanning the cells in our body to see if there are any foreign agents that the T cells that, that the, the um, normal cells looking for, or so the T cells looking for disease cells, surveying our body looking for disease, disease cells that occurs. Uh, 
moment to moment hmm. uh, and and having the um, ability to quite literally make a decision between life and death where the T cells either trigger or not against those disease cells rightly or wrongly occurs in our bodies you know thousands and thousands of times a day and the intricate mechanisms by which that occurs and the fact that we live for so long and are able to and the body is able to quite literally every day be able to detect disease cells some of them precancerous some of them cancerous that haven't emerged and aren't, aren't, uh, ava- aren't um, observable by imaging for that to occur uh, and have evolved uh, in a way that is probabilistic uh, or in the absence of a a creator for me is is difficult to to reconcile so that's where i start is is you know at the beginning which is how do i feel about a creator and the more i delve into the science the more awe inspiring it is uh, the more i lean towards um that belief that uh, it couldn't have happened by chance and then subsequently it becomes what what story is feels compelling uh, out of the various stories about uh, the creator being uh, in existence mm. uh, and, and that's where where I lean to to my own sort of religious beliefs but that's I, I, I always start there and and do you, do you find that there is a kind of conflict or is there a kind of rivalry when you're when you're in that scientific environment and the concept of religion comes up or it doesn't um, come up I, it comes up uh, sometimes it comes up sometimes it doesn't come up and I don't feel it to be a conflict um, mm. Myself, uh, I, you know, I, I reconcile. I can, I, in my own mind, I can reconcile any um, apparent, um, you know, controversial aspects, mm. um, and I'm very comfortable with with reconciling those things. And as I say, um, where does that come from? You know, be, be, being able to sort of take all these different uh, conflicting concepts and contradictory concepts and be able to reconcile with them all. Yeah, I, maybe there's a degree of flexibility in the mm. thinking. Mm. Um, maybe perhaps that there's an element of of that. Um, perhaps there's also an element of uh, being comfortable with uncertainty. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty that you know we know much more than we've ever known, mm. but there's still so much more that we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so being comfortable with that level of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just you know, I think being open to hear yeah. the, the ver- various possibilities, um, and and doing that respectfully, you yeah. know, I think it's I, I think that's critical. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of the age-old wisdom: treat others how you'd like to be treated. And I think uh, avoiding any sort of arrogance in one's own opinion. Yeah. Uh, Which is so, very interesting because you're very you know you're 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 an expert in building teams. And mm. you sort of mention all of the different qualities of how to build um, mm. great teams. Um, mm. Could you could you sort of elaborate a bit more about what makes you build such great teams around you? Yeah, really, it's about people. So there's a there's um, a really uh, there are various um, innovative ways of thinking about organizations. So Frederick Lelou uh, published a book called um, Reinventing Organizations. And and his thesis essentially uh, rests on three things. One is uh, what's called wholeness. And this is the idea of bringing one's complete self to an organization. 
Um, and that is, you know, so so removing the facade, bringing one's complete self. If one is coming into an organization, coming in in the morning, and they're frustrated, then feeling very comfortable to be frustrated. Um, it's also there's also another term for it, psychological safety, uh, which. Um, Google had this, uh, uh, they did a survey of teams in their organization, and they looked for the makeup of teams that the, were the most impactful, the most powerful. They called it Project Aristotle. Aristotle says that, you know, the uh, the collective is more powerful than the single. And so they called it Project Aristotle, and they, they went on to this task, and they found actually more than the phenotype of teams, so introvertedness, extrovertedness, more than the expertise of teams, what was most powerful and most impactful is whether a team felt psychologically safe, i.e. they could feel vulnerable uh, and feel comfortable uh, to be vulnerable. So wholeness is a part of that, and that was one uh, pillar uh, and, and one of the kind of three elements. The other is uh, purpose and be, being very clear about the purpose. Uh, the why, as it were, Simon Sinek talks about why, right? The golden circle. Why we're doing something is is uh, a great motivator, and you can endure anyhow, as it were, as Nietzsche says. So the why is very important, and purpose is very important, and being very, very clear about that, and having that, you know, we're lucky in our field in some ways because the why is very clear. We're here to generate therapies to help patients live longer, with a higher uh, quality of life. That's a very clear why. Uh, so we're privileged in that, that regard. And then the other is called self-management. So this is not empowerment, this is self-management, which is this notion of being able to self sense and respond. So not going through a series of hierarchy in order to make a decision, a bit like the body. One part of the body can respond to an injury in the absence of another part of, body, of the body realizing that. But the power of the body is its independent ability in these micro-environments to do that, to sense and respond. And so this idea of sensing and responding um, as well and building that in teams, so giving them the confidence to be able to make those decisions and then as a leader serving them. So it's a kind of a service-based leadership that, I, and I resonate to those three things. And those were the kind of themes that we had, uh, that I'd used previously to, to help build teams is around those themes. So being clear on the purpose, uh, encouraging the trust in the teams to be vulnerable and be whole, so the wholeness. Uh, and then the self-management, so sensing and responding. Wow, that's that that's really powerful. When was the first time you felt you were in a great team? In your experience, um, I would say that uh, probably when I um, when I moved to so so I was amongst great people at GSK. I guess where I felt mo most profoundly that I was amongst a team where the line of sight was so visible was when I moved, where, when I started my journey in a, a small biotech, when I first started that. So now I'm even in a smaller biotech, but when I first started that was in my last role at Immunicore. Um, and, and because, and I, and I joined and I was the 41st employee so it's a small organization. The line of sight to clinical translation was very clear. Um, and I joined at a time where we were embarking, just about to embark on the clinical trial. So testing the first type of these therapies in patients with skin cancer. And so it felt like we were all moving in the same direction. And that direction was so clear uh, and tangible. 
when you're in a large, or a large organization, you can be amongst, and I was amongst some very talented people, the line of sight is perhaps less clear into a clinical translation. And ultimately, the, the motivation you get from the day-to-day data is fulfilling. Uh, but, but also, translational scientists, in the end, want to see what impact they have on patients. Uh, and so that's, I think, the movement to, to Immunicore in that small organization where that line of sight was clear, I would say, and the talented people in that group to try to make that happen was probably where I most profoundly felt like I was amongst a great team uh, and a great leader. So the, the chief scientific officer there, Ben Jacobson, um, had kind of imbued his leadership style and culture on the organization, which was very much around everyone has a voice um, um, and all voices uh, uh, are equal um, and to encourage um, people to, to voice their opinion, to speak and, and encourage that diversity. Um, and, and, and it was a diverse organization. And that's, again, the richness of the team came from that diversity. It's a bit like the immune system. The immune system works well when it's diverse, when when diverse mechanisms come into action. Um, and so that the, the diversity brings some richness. So I think that was the point, and that was back in um, 2009. Wow, wow. And, and, and mm. given that you're a very active man and you're in science and you love exercise, if, if we can end with your three top tips to uh, diversifying your, your immune system. Um, three top tips eat well and yeah. you know there's a lot of sort of uh, background to, to those two words but eat <laughs> well eat well um, what do you mean by I, that I mean you know, eat well means we yeah, can all eat well <laughs> that, we can all eat well and that's why I say there's a lot of back, there's you know that, that reads, needs qualification um, so a balanced diet yeah. um, I, I've, I've recently completely cut out processed uh, sugar Sugar as much as possible, yeah. um, uh, and uh, you know, the, the, uh, there's so much information now about what eat well means, and I think a lot of that is true. Not not necessarily the uh, the kind of the fad diets, but it's more around balance in the diet. It's more around balance rather than nutritious, nutri- absolutely nutritious foods. Um, having you know foods that provide the energy rather than uh, sap energy, mm-hmm. um, so that so that that kind of thing. I, I tend to you know I, I enjoy eating a lot of nuts. I try to incorporate berries. I try to incorporate some of these kind of flax seeds, that kind of thing, into my diet as well. Um, so eating well, eating a balanced diet. There's a there's a, an interesting book called How Not to Die, um, and and the, he, uh, the, the author has uh, the top twelve, uh, the Daily Dozen. Um, and, and it's a good rendition of the scientific basis for what eat well could mean. So that's one, poss- you know, that's one kind of reading uh, if people are interested. Uh, the other is exercise. I think daily exercise. For me, it, that's been um, something that's been just, you know, inspiring in the true sense of the word, uh, which in Latin is en- providing and giving energy. And that, that gives me energy. Some people say, well, exercise, that could drain you. But I find the opposite. That gives me energy to deal with life. Uh, and, and family and so on. So exercise is the second. And the third I would say is, uh, and none of this is you know groundbreaking, but the third I would say is, is be curious and read and learn. Uh, and I enjoy, you know, I enjoy reading diverse things. You know, I enjoy reading poetry. I enjoy reading um, science. I enjoy reading history a lot. Uh, I enjoy, you know, so, so 
diversification because that also brings creativity and that, mm. that's I think important for, for fulfill, fulfillment so eating well as I say the uh, exercise and also reading and, and being curious Dr. Namira, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. How how can people get hold of you if if, if they want to tap into that sort of head of uh, immense wisdom and uh, grounding? I'm not sure about the, the immense wisdom, but they can certainly <laughs> um, get hold of me through LinkedIn. Yeah, uh, you know, ha- happy to help where I can. Yeah. Um, so that's that's probably the best Great. way to connect. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much, Namir. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to this installment of the Surgical Spirit Podcast. For all the latest in the world of Surgical Spirit, don't forget to follow on Twitter at The Third Eye Doc and catch me on Facebook at the page The Third Eye Doctor. You can visit the website at www.thethirdeyedoctor.co.uk for more information on the work that I do. And please send us feedback and questions and suggestions for the podcast. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. I've been Dr. Haider Al-Hakim and I'll see you next time.